Good morning, church. I believe that God wants to do something very special in this service today. We have been praying and seeking the Lord about sharing about lament and helping people to come to a place of healing and renew joy in their life. And because I think this is such a special service, I um, would ask that you would make sure that your phones are muted so that we don't have a lot of distraction or any distraction that happens during this time in our service because I believe there's a bit of a holiness that happens right now uh, with the presence of the Lord and we don't want that to be interrupted in any kind of way by distractions. Uh, we've come through a season of very difficult events in a lot of people's lives. Um, through the season of COVID, of course, um, we have lost loved ones who were infected and died from COVID. And through this season, we have experienced other losses as well. People have been taken from us because of cancer and other illnesses and accidents that have happened at unseasonable times. But we also recognize that there are people who are grieving and suffering because of, because of other things that happened in their life. Maybe it's a difficult relationship. Maybe it's um, somebody is, is struggling because of unemployment. Uh, maybe there's a child that has gone astray from the Lord or a family member that people are struggling with. And there's mental and psychological stresses that come from unemployment or from school or maybe even the neighborhood that we live in or the place where we work brings stress. Poor sleeping can bring anxiety. Not being able to pay bills brings stress. Physical pain can add to our emotional health. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I was kind of thinking through the congregation and about who might be listening today. And, and honestly, I, can't think, I couldn't think of one single individual who might not be experiencing or have experienced some kind of stress or reason for anxiety or the pain of loneliness or loss or a sickness that has kept them up at night. All of us have experienced it. And I know from very personal experience of losing a loved one in an untimely manner, the, the grief, the sleepless nights, the uh, questioning that comes along with that. But we need to be reminded, and this is my goal today, we need to be reminded that there is light and there is even hope in the midst of our darkness. Pastor Mark began last week a series on a biblical worldview. And within the scope of that theme, worldview, 
as Christians, we also need to have a proper worldview on suffering and on lament. There is a worldview related to that. You can choose one side or the other. In the midst of our darkness, we ask questions. Lord, why did this happen to me? Lord, why did this happen now to me? Lord, why is that happening to my family member, my loved one? Lord, is there something that I have, could have done to prevent this? Lord, is there something that I can do now to correct the situation? We have all kinds of questions in the midst of our pain and loneliness and suffering. We can't help it. It's our human nature. And we find ourselves engulfed in sadness and darkness through the shadow of the valley of death. And yet, for those who know Christ, to those who are following Christ, we can look through the windows of faith and hope and we hear God's voice saying to us, I am with you. I am with you. But what if you can't look through that window of faith? What if the darkness is too dark and the doubt is too loud? What if death surrounds you? What if there's deceit in marriage? What if you felt the betrayal of a friend? What if you lose your health and your freedom? What if darkness is really that deep? That seems to be the reality of Psalm 88. I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn there with me. To some extent, everything that I have just mentioned is found in this psalm. This is the reality we live in, isn't it? Psalm 88 is a psalm where we find them all named, except with no relief, no light, no redemption, and no exit point mentioned at all. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching on that? Because we need just the opposite, and I'll get to that. But it's the only psalm in the entire Bible where there's no off-ramp of relief from the pain mentioned. We go, why? It's a psalm of darkness without a dawn. And in the end, you're left asking the question, where's the grace in this? Where is the relief in this? Why is this psalm, even in the Bible, did somebody make some kind of horrible mistake? Is this some kind of a joke on Christians? Why is this there? And the simple answer is that we've been given this psalm for a reason and that it's a psalm that we need to learn from in the midst of dealing with our darkness and pain. And so there are several lessons that I find here that I believe will help us in the end. The first lesson we learn is that God wants us to name our pain. God wants us to do that. As we read this psalm, it dawns on us that God allows his children to do certain things. Number one, God allows his children to complain. Look at what he writes in verses three and four. He's complaining. 
For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Wow, he's, he's complaining. The English language might put it this way. Lord, this really stinks. Lord, I'm really struggling with this. I know that we had vacation Bible school last week, but the song that we sing, I'm happy, happy, happy all the day, just doesn't really cut it right now. It's just not where I'm at. It's not where my life is at. So we learned in this psalm that God allows his children to complain. But we also learned that God allows his children to blame Look what he writes in verses 5 to 8. Like one sat loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, they, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. Oh, he's complaining. And he's blaming. He's saying, God, you've let this happen to me. But not only does God allow us to complain, not only does he allow us to blame, but he also allows, believe it or not, sarcasm and reproving from his children. Look at what he writes in verse 9. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Hear the sarcasm. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave and your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Wow. He's allowing blaming and sarcasm. But then also, the Lord allows his children to cry. Look at verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Did you know, by the way, that God welcomes our tears? He welcomes our tears. Psalm 56, verse 8 says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Somehow God stores up the tears. It's a remembrance of, it's a recognition of God is, God is fully aware. And he writes them down in his book. There's a famous play based on a French novel by the name of Les Miserables. Right, guys? Did I say it right? I had to get uh, some coaching on how to say that, and I'm sure I still slaughtered it. But you guys know what I mean, right? It's a play, and it's a movie, too. 
And the words of the play are the words of this psalm. Believe it or not. Uh, listen to the first words of the first three stanzas of the song in the play, at which I won't repeat, <laughs> called I Dreamed a Dream. There was a dream when the world was a song, and there was a time when it all went wrong. I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft in thunder as they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. Wow, that, that song sounds so depressing, almost spiritually blasphemous, non-religious, and yet it's actually what the psalmist is expressing. The psalmist is saying, God, I thought things would be different in my life. Lord, I called out to you, but you didn't seem to answer me, or did you even hear me? I heard about the miracles, so why aren't you doing them now? And if we're honest about it, haven't we all been in that place in our lives? Maybe you're there now. God, what's happening? Why aren't you answering me? Why hasn't this thing passed? Now, I know why that song is in the play, but why is this psalm in the Bible? <laughs> the reason is so that we can name the pain we feel. You see, if God didn't prohibit this psalm, then he does not also prohibit us from expressing our real emotion and pain to him. He allows us to say, Lord, I didn't think my life would turn out like this. Lord, this doesn't make any sense. Lord, this hurts too much to be good. Where are you? And as I already said, this is the only psalm in the Bible that doesn't offer a way out. It's the, it's the only psalm in the Bible that is completely dark. Because the reality is that there are times when we don't need to hear that everything is going to be all right. There are times when we just need to express to God that our lives are in darkness and pain and difficulty right now. And we don't need to hear that there's a silver lining and everything is going to work out in the end or that we need to just get over it. But rather we need God and other people to understand how dark our lives are, how sick our hearts are, and that we just need people to understand what we're expressing and we need to express it to God. And Psalm 88 is given for that reason. It's given to us to remind us that God knows, that he cares, and because he knows, not only can we name the pain, but we also can pray in the pain. And that's our next point. We can pray in our pain. Look what verses 1 and 2 says. 
O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. And then right in the middle of verse 9, we see every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. And it continues in verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. You see, right in the middle of their darkness, right in the middle of his pain, even when it seems like there is no way out, we can pray. Somebody has said that when it's hardest to pray, pray hardest. And the psalmist is doing that here. Even when there are no real answers, and it seems like there is no way out, and that by the end of the psalm, things still have not worked out. But it's in the midst of the pain that he's crying, and he's complaining, and he's turning to God. Which means that even when we name our pain, and even when we haven't done it right, and even though the answers may not come right away, we can still pray because prayer is the means by which we draw near to God and his throne. It's the means by where we can find healing. It's the means by where we find hope. The third principle I see in this psalm is that of grace. And you might smile with me about that because you say, there ain't no grace here. Where is the grace in this psalm? I don't see it anywhere. But you know, we forget that these psalms are arranged in and collected across generations and put into the Bible. There are actually five books in the book of Psalms. The first 41 psalms are God's blessing on the nation of Israel through David. Psalm 42 through 72 is a continuation of that blessing through Solomon and his kingdom. That's the second book. In book 3, Psalm 73 to 89, in this Psalm 88, right at the end where the nation of Israel is undone and sent into exile and they're in ruins and they're enslaved again by the rivers of Babylon, they sit down and weep. Feeling like there's no hope and no way out and there's complete darkness and this is Psalm 88 in the third book, at the end of the third book. Because then they get past the darkness and they come to book four, which begins in Psalm 90 through 106. And it's in those Psalms where we find hope. And even even though the deliverance has not come yet, there's some hope. There's some light shining through the cracks. And then finally, book five, 107 through 150, shows us how to continue to depend upon God's promises to deliver us. You see, the the Psalms is a beautiful and wonderful compilation and movement of reality. They're a movement of the heart from blessing to dancing to darkness before hope and praise returns again. 
And it's right in the middle of the darkness we find this psalm written as though God is saying that every experience you have and every emotion that you feel, I understand and I can identify with that. And that's why we go to the psalms when our hearts are hurting. Haven't you found that to be true in your own life? Are there not seasons? Are there not different phases that you go through in your life? Sometimes we just need a psalm of guidance, don't we? We need some direction in our life. And sometimes we need a psalm that says, God, I'm hurting so bad right now, I don't know what I'm going to do with the darkness. And at other times we just want to dance and we want to rejoice. That's the movement of the psalms. These There's a psalm that speaks to all of our emotions, all of our phases of all of our lives. And as we read them, our hearts begin to resonate with a God who says, I know, I know, I know what you're going through. I know you. I know your life. I know your pain is real. I know it, and I name it for what it is. But this isn't the only reality. And Psalm 88 isn't the only psalm. But the grace is found in realizing if that God really understands our pain, if he really understands what we're going through, and if he's so honest about the darkness that we are experiencing that he names it, then we can also trust him when he says something about the light as well. You see... If it were all light and joy and happy, happy, happy all the day long, that wouldn't be real. That wouldn't be life. But if God is willing to say, I know the pain, I understand the pain, then we can trust him when he says there's an answer to this as well. Why can we trust it? Because it's not the only psalm. And it's not the final psalm. But Psalm 88 is followed by a lot of other psalms that speak of praise and hope and happiness. And and this is the last time that Psalm 88 will ever be spoken. If you ever get the opportunity to visit Israel which I have done a couple of different times, you'll no doubt get the opportunity to visit the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. He was the high priest where Jesus was taken for trial and beating before going to the cross. They've done some excavations there, and so you can see where the house is on the hill, and that's the roof of the house, and that's the painting. Don't go there yet, just a minute. Some stables, next, next slide. Some stables were built under the house into the hillside. Those are actually horse stables, the one on the left. And in the limestone, there, there, were, there were hitching posts that are carved out of the rock. You can, you can kind of barely see them there. You see the strands sticking out where they would tie the reins of a horse. But then, next slide, you can also see some hitching posts where up higher, uh, men would be tied 
there and beaten and tortured in the house of the high priest. It's a dark and dismal place to go, but it's not the darkest place. Because you go from there to the pit that's in the rock, which was the holding cell where men were before their trials. They were held there. And they were simply dropped. You see the hole there? They were dropped through that hole into the pit. And when they hit the bottom, they could break a leg or get injured because it's really deep. It's really deep. There are stairs that take you to the bottom of the pit now. And when you get to the bottom, there's a lectern there that has a large book on it. You can see it in, in one of those pictures. And the book has one psalm on the lectern, written in many different languages, so that no matter where you come from in the world, you can read that one psalm in the pit. And you know what psalm it is? Psalm 88. You say, why is this psalm in that pit? It's where Jesus was held. Because it's not just a psalm about what you and I experienced, but it's a psalm about what the Savior experienced. And the reason Psalm 88 is in the Bible isn't just to show us that God knows about our pain, but it's, show, but it's to show us that it's what the Savior experienced when he took on our guilt and our shame and our hurt. This psalm is God saying that he would enter in and he would take the penalty that we deserve for justice's sake. And for that reason, we can trust him. Man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came, ruined sinners, he reclaimed. And he did that by suffering beyond our imaginations, by being stricken and afflicted so that the wrath of God would fall upon him and not touch those who turn to Jesus and believe that he paid the price for our freedom and deliver us in darkness. And so even when we experience darkness in our own lives, we know that God does not forbid us from expressing our pain and our hurt because he knows it by experience. Because the promise of God is that because he knows us, because he has experienced what we're experiencing, he will also free us from our sin and shame and our pain. And for that reason, we know that his, we know his grace. For that reason, we know he will ex express his grace because he's experienced it. 